Welcome to the Academy Podcast, a podcast dedicated to sharing rich content for the purpose of spiritual growth. I'm your host, Claire McKeever Burgett, and I serve as the Associate Director of the Academy for Spiritual Formation, an international ministry of the Upper Room. The Academy creates transformative space for people to connect with God, self, others, and creation for the sake of the world. In this month's podcast, I sit down with Marjorie Thompson, who is a longtime Academy faculty person, author, and my personal spiritual director. In light of the recent tornadoes that devastated parts of Nashville and Tennessee, as well as growing concerns about the coronavirus throughout the world, and a politically charged election season here in the U.S., I wanted to talk with Marjorie about how to remain grounded faith leaders in the midst of chaos, disaster, and fear. As a Presbyterian minister, Marjorie has focused much of her 38 years of service on retreat work, teaching, and writing in the area of spiritual formation. Author of several books, including Soul Feast, she has long considered writing central to her vocation. Her more recent books for pastoral leaders and engaged laity are The Gift of Encouragement and Forgiveness, a Lenten Study. Her newest book, Courage for Caregivers, was published as a joint project of the Henry Nouwen Society and Church Health in Memphis. What follows is a heartfelt conversation with one of my spiritual guides, a true friend and companion along the way of love. Listen on, beloveds, and enjoy. Marjorie, welcome. Thank you. It's good to be here. <laughs> so glad that we're here. It is a gift to have you with us today. And as I've said in the introduction, I invited you here because it feels uh, at the end of this week, and we'll talk more kind of contextually about that in a minute, but it's been a big week. There's a lot going on. It's the things in our world, in our country, in our state are just ever-evolving so I want to talk about all of those things with you and what does it mean to be a spiritual person, a spiritual leader, grounded, wise in these shifting and uncertain times. But before we get into all of that, I'd love for you to tell us who you are um, and however that feels and looks for you. Uh, where do you come from? What do you love? What's the geographical landscape of your faith? What does it look like, smell like, feel like? Yeah. Who are you? <laughs> <laughs> well, th these are wonderful questions. <laughs> I don't think I've ever had anyone ask me to describe the, the, the geographical landscape of my faith exactly. <clears throat> I'll start with uh, where I'm from because for, for a number of people, who don't know me, that may be a bit of an interesting story. Um, I was born in Chiang Mai, Thailand. My parents were in mission work. Um, I lived in a, a very close-knit mission community where all of our parents' friends and co-workers were our aunts and uncles <laughs> because we didn't have our own aunts and uncles around, of course. <clears throat> it was a very uh, interesting and, and unusual kind of first half of my childhood, I would say. Um, I loved Thailand uh, as a child. It was a wonderful place to grow up, or at least <laughs> half grow up. Uh, my father was a Presbyterian minister, so <clears throat> I've, I've kind of followed in his footsteps in certain ways. Um, but he died in a train wreck when I was eight years old, and my mother brought me and my two older brothers back to her home turf, which was the Philadelphia area. Mm. Um, so I guess... Um, you know, my spiritual path was really shaped by deep personal loss very early on in my life. And I think that uh, that really uh, shaped me in many ways that I didn't understand for decades afterward. I was grappling with some really heavy questions about life and death as, yeah. as, a, as a child. <clears throat> but... Uh, 
And I, I think in some ways that's what steered me toward theological questions mm -hmm. and steered me toward um, understanding other faith traditions. I had grown up in a Buddhist culture, basically seeing some of the external trappings and rituals of the Buddhist society, but not understanding anything about that, uh, being raised in a small Christian enclave in the midst of it. Uh, so in even in high school, I studied some other faith traditions. And in college, I really dug into to Buddhism and studied that in some depth. My father uh, had been interested in Buddhist-Christian dialogue, which I think he was quite ahead of his time mm -hmm. in that when you think <laughs> that, yeah. you know, he went out to Thailand with my mother in 1946, right wow. after the war. Uh, <clears throat> but he felt it was very important for, for Christians and Buddhists to be able to understand their, um, their worldviews and he understood that that uh, language follows cultural traditions, and you have to understand, even to communicate as as a Christian teacher, uh, what you thought was important to communicate. You had to understand the cultural context and the the language structures. Hmm. Um, so yeah. he he was a he was a very brilliant man. Uh, that was all shaping me. I would say in my adult life, uh, when I went to seminary, I got exposed to Eastern Orthodox Christianity and was very um, interested in and influenced by some aspects of Orthodox theology and, and continue to be, particularly uh, the understanding of spirit-bearing matter. It's the way it was put to me. Uh, but the whole... Um, of the material world being imbued with the love energies of God. This makes more sense to me now that we know something about um, quantum physics than, than it right. did then, but it attracted me at mm -hmm. that point. I, probably 20 years ago, got very interested in Celtic spirituality mm -hmm. and some aspects of um, perceiving and naming God in more feminine ways, mm -hmm. which is part of the Celtic heritage. Uh, so that that was important to me. I think probably from you know from college on, I was exposed to the writings of various mystics um, beyond Christian mystics, uh, mystics from other traditions as well, and have always felt very deeply drawn to um, the unitive vision of the mystics that has continued to be important to me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so so those are some of the shaping things. I, I would say I'm a contemplative by nature, mm -hmm. and nature feeds my contemplative spirit. Mm -hmm. So uh, the natural world is really an important part of my own faith understanding. It may be one reason why the body has been important to me in prayer from early on. And I think, uh, you know, when I was in seminary, I did liturgical dance. I didn't have any models for it, but I, I yeah. devised my own way of doing liturgical yeah, dance, which yeah. was in silence. But, it, but to me, it was very clear. It was an expression of prayer. Mm. <clears throat> and I've come back to using my body much more in prayer, um, which I may have a chance to say a little bit more about yeah. with you here. Yeah. Those are... So tell us what contemplative means to you when you refer to yourself as that? I understand it as a way of attending to what you see. Hmm. I, I think uh, contemplation is beholding hmm. and in beholding, perceiving what is real. So it takes a capacity to sort of put yourself, um, take yourself out of the center um, and place your attention and energy on what is before you, whether it's the external world or the internal world. And 
attending to what um, to to the spiritual realm within all of that, because for me, of course, that is the most real <laughs> dimension of life is the mm. spiritual. Yeah, and of course, in my work with you, you as my spiritual director, uh, I understand that as really a an invitation to being present. Like, yes, because uh, I have a tendency to focus on what I can't see or don't know. <laughs> um, and I, yeah, I've experienced that with you of just this deep invitation, this deep call back to like what's here right now. Mm. Um, my body or the bird singing or yeah. So very material as well. So in one of our recent spiritual direction sessions, you encouraged me to befriend my feelings and then led me through this beautiful exercise of wrapping my arms and heart around all the feelings and giving them love. So I'm wondering if you would tell us uh, more about that practice. Um, where does it come from? How do you personally practice it? And why do you think it's important for us in this day and age as people and as faith leaders? Mm. <laughs> uh, well, before I try to address some of that, I, I wonder if you might be willing uh, to share a little bit of where that meditation took you. What what yeah. was that like for you? Yeah. So yeah, I was um, I was explaining to you about my inner critic, um, which apparently there's more than one <laughs> inner critics. And on we this, all have more than one, Claire. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> this was a surprise to me. Um, and um, mine on that particular day were um, kind of, uh, you know, probably, what is it, two sides of the same coin, but one saying, get over yourself, Claire. This is not a big deal. Move on, push through, kind of that kind of harsh language. And then uh, the other being this is enormous and I need everyone to see me and stop everything that they're doing and pay attention. And so I'm telling you this, I'm just going, I vacillate between these. Like, um, and so just without sort of, um, missing a beat, you invited me into this practice where we, we opened up our arms and kind of, you know, so visually and with the body could see kind of both ends of the spectrum. We're opening our arms right now. And then just moving those arms, those hands kind of in to wrap around them and to hold them with deep breath, with loving kindness. And so for me, it was the experience of coming back to present because I realized that both of those were taking me out of where I was. Both of those were just saying, you know, <laughs> what I'm feeling is not okay yeah. currently. And so I have to listen to these other voices to kind of take me out of that. And it just brought me back. And I remember you using the words, uh, nothing stays the same forever. And so this other invitation of really we can trust what we're feeling in that moment, we can give it kind of, but it doesn't have to be forever. Like, yeah. you know, and and there was this real freedom in that. that I thought, mm. okay, mm. can I, you know, can I stay with this a little bit longer? But can I also be free to let it go? Uh, so that was how I experienced that. And then since then, uh, you sent me, of course, the outline that you developed on it and I think I, you you kind of outline it, and, and then at the very end, you summarize it by saying, um, uh, notice and name, and then what are the other, befriend and... Um, breathe and befriend. Breathe and befriend. Mm -hmm. Of course, I forgot the breath. <laughs> breath, <laughs> it's everything. Um, breathe and befriend. So, yeah. so that was... That was that's how I experienced in that moment. And then since then, I've just, uh, that notice and name has been really powerful for me. Mm. Okay, good. Wonderful. Well, thank you for <clears throat> being willing to share yeah. something of your experience of, of being guided through that. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's, it's really um, a new practice for me. Mm -hmm. So I'm just learning how to use it myself. But I felt that um, 
It was so important, uh, particularly in this time and place that we're all living through now for, for so many reasons. This is, um, we are living in very difficult, challenging times where so much feels abnormal, so much in the political sphere with respect to climate change and, you know, uh, incredibly fierce uh, storms and weather systems, <clears throat> um, with, with respect to all kinds of things, it, it's challenging. And I think all of us get pulled off center pretty easily. Uh, I know for me, <laughs> personally, it doesn't take more than maybe, you know, listening to the news. Mm-hmm. To, to feel off-center. <clears throat> so uh, when I found this practice, and I, I have taken it largely from a, a book called Finding the Deep River Within, which is written by a woman named Abby Sykes, S-E-I-X-A-S, <clears throat> interesting name. Um, but I pulled it out of her materials and felt that <clears throat> it would be really helpful to me personally, enough so that, that this is my current Lenten practice (laughs) is befriending my feelings. Mm. Uh, And it's basically just a way to notice and hold spaciousness um, and and love around difficult feelings. Uh, Sykes calls these our dark emotions. Mm. The, The hard feeling, the ones we would maybe often call negative feelings. So, you know, anger, frustration, um, jealousy, jealousy, envy, um, disgust, uh, you know, just fear, sadness, grief, um, shame, guilt. Uh, there's There's so many of these feelings that can be painful for us to hold and sometimes even debilitating for us. So where do we go with them? How do we um, deal with them constructively? And in this practice, you first notice and you know really recognize and name your feeling. What exactly is it? Mm-hmm. And then you you notice the thoughts or storylines that tend to accompany that feeling because most of us have had these feelings before, you know, many times they come back right. on us. There are patterns to our feelings. Absolutely. So what are the the thought, we, we usually have some kind of a narrative around these feelings. And it's real easy to just go straight into that narrative, those thoughts we have. So that's the next thing to pay attention to. The feeling is different from the narrative that accompanies it. And then you, you go to your body. What is, where do you feel this emotion in your body? Mm-hmm. Uh, do you feel it in shallow breathing or... Uh, tightness in your muscles somewhere or um, pounding heart. (laughs) Our bodies respond to strong emotions. And once we we begin to notice where in our body we're holding it, we then just kind of begin to breathe with that that part of our body where we feel it. Mm -hmm. Breathe with it. And, and just sit with it without judgment. This is the key to not judge our feelings, yeah. which was why I took you into that process because clearly these were two judging voices in your own right. mind. Right. And the beauty of this practice is it can help us get to a place where we're just noticing and we can even be curious, you know, about well, where is that? Where does that storyline come from with this feeling? You know, why, why do I keep telling myself that story about this feeling? Um, so it, it, it takes us out of this place of judging, and then we can just kind of be with it. This is, this is what befriending means. We begin to accept the feelings that we have for whatever they are. We just accept them, allow them to be. And then we, we maybe find some words or a gesture. And I was suggesting a gesture for you because, mm-hmm. because it was clear to me these were sort of opposing voices in your head. And 
what that suggested to me was, you know, we need to kind of stretch out our arms and and kind of take in both sides mm-hmm. <laughs> of these opposing voices and kind of draw draw them in and acknowledge that they're both parts of who who we are right now. You know, this is okay. I can hear both of these voices mm-hmm. and I can let them be what they are, but neither of them needs to dominate or. I don't have to react out of either side. Mm -hmm. And so you kind of come back to center Mm -hmm. where you can be in more balance. And um, I think it's it's a beautiful practice befriending our feelings and that gesture of sort of drawing them in, uh, drawing them to the heart where we can love Mm -hmm. all the aspects of who we are, just... This is what God does with us, you know. God loves us however, whoever we are now. And and God loves us too much to leave us there, as it has been said, you know. We're we're in process. Mm, We're in process, which is why I said it's not going to be this way forever. It felt so uh, nurturing to do that for myself, Mm. you know. I mean, just, right, I mean... It is said that, you know, the hands and the arms are extensions of the heart. Mm. And so even to mm. sort of extend out and then bring back in, right? And then, of course, the arms that hold our children, our, you know, mm. our loved ones. Like, um, and You're so cradling to, yourself. Yes. Like, yeah. so to, to practice that mm-hmm. for myself was really beautiful because I do tend to sort of always have the arms out, <laughs> cradling, loving, feeding, uh, you know, others. Um, and so to offer that to myself felt pretty profound. Uh, and then the invitation to keep doing that. Um, I also, I've heard, you know, before that we sort of the sentiment that we sort of, you know, can, you know, throw that emotion away or slam the door on it or, you know, and that's always felt really violent to me mm-hmm. in a sense, because I also wonder what is, what is this inner critic? What is this feeling? What is this emotion teaching me or inviting me to see that I really need, you know? Yes. And I, I think, um, I think you're wise to see that there's something awry in the idea of cutting off feelings, right. cutting off any aspect of our human experience um, in in a more kind of violent way or suppressing those things. Mm-hmm. That's not helpful long term, and it's not going to be successful. Um, it has been said, what we resists, what we resist persists. Mm. <laughs> what we suppress is going to come back on us. Right. It, psychologists call it the return of the repressed. Um, it, it comes back because it hasn't been dealt with. The, vo- the voices in us that are pained voices or angry or whatever it is, they, these are responses, they're reactions to something, some experience that we need to pay attention to. What is it that causes that? And and instead of pushing those things away or suppressing them, um, pay attention to what they are and what they tell us about ourselves. It's all part of, part of who we are. Mm-hmm. And so the, the more helpful approach is to integrate these things, yeah. you know, to... to I acknowledge that they are part of the wholeness of our humanity mm-hmm. and acknowledge them, you know, salute them. Yes, I see you. I hear you. What do you need from me? What does my anger need from me? Um, I don't want to be an angry person. I don't want it to take over in my life. Uh, interestingly, when we're not conscious of our anger, it mm-hmm. can do that. Anything we're not conscious of can take over in our lives. Right. But uh, to become more aware, more conscious of, and then to to acknowledge, to allow, to say, okay, that's part, that's part of me. It's part of who I am. It comes out under certain circumstances. I begin to recognize what brings it forth. Um, and then you can, you can comfort it. Mm-hmm. It's like a wounded child. Yeah. You know. So 
embracing the whole is a more helpful approach than trying to cut things off. Right? Yes. Yeah. And I think most of us sort of have to learn that lesson over and over again. Yeah, yeah we do. <laughs> Me too. Bless us, you know. I mean, <laughs> Me too. Um, just this week, um, of course, here in Nashville, uh, tornadoes tore through our city and then throughout the state of Tennessee and in the wake of that uh, and we have put out a statement of course letting folks know that the upper room offices here are okay and um, our staff uh, though some were in neighborhoods that were more affected than others are safe and okay and we're deeply grateful for that um, but in the wake of that, on, uh, I think, Tuesday afternoon, uh, I was crafting a response uh, on behalf of the Upper Room, just in my kind of writing and communications role. And um, I wrote a prayer to invite folks to pray with us, and it's called Make Us Whole. And uh, a line of that prayer says, uh, we join with our ancestors and the saints praying an ancient prayer, take the broken pieces of our lives and make us whole. And that just, as you and as you were speaking and as we're talking about this practice, um, that's really what those, any of the emotions are reminding us of, um, that there is this wholeness. Yes, Parker Palmer calls it our hidden wholeness. That's right, that's right. <laughs> often yeah. it's deeply hidden to us, but uh, yeah. yes, it is all part of life. Um, And it's, you know, something like a tornado or several tornadoes, as we now know, um, it's very frightening um, because tornadoes are so unpredictable and and so concentrated in their destructiveness. And that's, of course, what we're seeing. Uh, It's just heartbreaking to see that. And when we know people who have been impacted, it's... You know, it really strikes close to home. Um, you were very close to mm-hmm. this outbreak. And yeah. um, we've been through this before in Nashville back in 98. Right. right. <laughs> uh, but this has been really worse destruction even than that. Yeah, yeah and these things happen, you know. It, this is part of the uncontrollable nature of life. Um, I was... <laughs> You know, we we the as you know the, the tornado went about a mile from our house, and you know we were just lucky that it we weren't in the direct path of it, but we were awake and with our two children in the hall with blankets and pillows in the middle of the night, and then realized that it passed, you know, and just went back to sleep, and then woke up to just so many text messages, so many people checking in, and I know that. That was the case for you because, of course, people all over are seeing it on the news and it's very destructive and all of this. But it was sort of it took a few hours for me to watch the news and kind of see what was going on to be like, holy moly. And then to realize like how close it was. And then it was on Super Tuesday. And so we were trying to figure out where to vote and our our, you know, regular uh, place to vote was closed. And so we were being redirected and the polls were staying open later. I mean. So many things uh, that, were, that, were, chaos. <laughs> that were going on. Yeah. Yeah. And I was just like, you know what, God? I did not need another reminder of how little control I have. I mean, you know, like I was just like, I was feeling that in my body, at my core. Um, and as you know, uh, that's something that's huge for me. I would probably guess it's huge for all of us. We're all trying to. <laughs> find ways that we can pretend we have control. Um, but yeah, I mean, for me, there's like, there's nothing much more kind of that will remind me of that than just a huge storm that blows in that nobody really knew was, I mean, it was not on my, in my awareness when I went to bed, right. Which is what made it even more, I think, deadly and scary. And, um, but yeah, then seeing the pic, you know, and I, I tried to do a to fast mostly from a lot of the pictures and things. It just didn't feel super healthy for me uh, to see all of that. But what I did see um, was really disturbing. And I I took some time on Tuesday (laughs) to 
light some candles and take some deep breaths uh, because I could just really feel that I needed to. Um, Good for you. That's, I think, one of the most important things we can do in the midst of crisis and when things feel chaotic, um, and there's plenty of that going on at many levels right now. Um, this is just, you know, <laughs> the just most one. recent. <laughs> right, exactly. But um, to, to keep ourselves grounded and to remind ourselves of what's most important, um, where we find our sense of um, security and hope uh, in this life, it, it's really not physical. Right. I mean, we, we try to take care of the physical as much as we can, and we don't want anybody to be harmed. We don't like the idea of being harmed ourselves, but um, we can't always avoid it. And the larger question at the spiritual level is, how do we stay grounded ourselves? Mm -hmm. And you've probably heard this said, but it applies, you know, the the airline instruction to put your own air mask on yeah. first and then help those yes. around you who might not be able to do it. I think we have to care for our own spiritual needs uh, regularly, yeah. daily if possible at all, and keep reminding ourselves and, and others that staying I'll use this phrase from Ephesians 3, rooted and grounded mm -hmm. in the love of Christ, is really the only secure ground that we have. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, those are, are things I try to re remind myself of and think about. <laughs> I, I love um, Annie Dillard, too, because I'm thinking here, because things are so strange and... I use that word abnormal. There's so much of a sense of that mm -hmm. uh, in these days that we're living in. Um, it's sometimes hard to know where where to find hope. And I I was reading something of Annie Dillard. Annie, I'm sorry, Annie Lamont, not Annie Dillard. <laughs> I love them both. But, both wonderful. Yeah, yeah <laughs> and she was talking about this. Um, I've got this lovely. A little quote from her. She says, you'd almost have to be nuts to be filled with hope in a world so rife with hunger, hatred, climate change, pollution, and pestilence. <laughs> pestilence, the, the virus now. Yeah. But she says, I have boundless hope most of the time. Um, hope for me is like an old chamois shirt, a reminder that I've been here before in circumstances just as frightening and came through. Remember, the whole system works because we're not all nuts on the same day. <laughs> Doesn't this sound like Lamont? Yes. <laughs> what if as a radical act, I err on the side of trust? Mm. What if I practice my latest theory that the center not only can and does hold, but the center can only hold because of the nature of the center? Mm. If the center is not the way things have always been, but rather breath, precious community, humanity, evolution, and casseroles. <laughs> then we see it all around us, volunteers and aid organizations. You, know, you could say uh, decontamination of the Hudson River. I guess that's something that has happened uh, within the last decade that, that I wasn't aware of. Mm. Uh, she says, you could say, river cleanup is child's play compared with the melting of the ice caps. And I would thank you for sharing and get back to doing what is possible. <laughs> so we take action, you know, by showing up with hope to help others, I'm guaranteed that hope is present. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. That we show up with hope to help others. Hope is already there. And that increases our hope, and it, it helps us to see goodness in the world because we're part of it. So that's, that's a kind of, uh, I think, a word about one of the ways that we can live with hope in the midst of the crises Absolutely. of our time. Mm. And we're 
seeing that in tangible ways right now. We are uh, right here in Nashville. Yeah. Because in the wake of the storm and uh, hope to continue to see it. Um, and so this kind of leads me to the next, you know, big question because we haven't already, you know, had enough. Um, but, <laughs> but as you know, just this week, um, we decided to cancel the Academy Advisory Board meeting. That's where I was supposed to be today. Uh, due to coronavirus concerns and many of our members traveling from the highly affected areas, uh, as well as either living with those in the vulnerable populations or being in the vulnerable population themselves, which in California right now they're saying 50 and older. Um, and then, of course, if you have a pre-existing condition. Um, so as an international ministry, um, we are following this very closely. Uh, we're doing our best to communicate with our leaders about how we remain connected and uh, community and church in these uncertain times. And so I'm curious uh, what your thoughts are about this spreading virus and how we respond in wisdom and awareness and love. Mm. Uh, how has it affected uh, you and your travel? And uh, how do we remain grounded? Uh, when all beneath our feet feels like shifting sand, <laughs> mm. <laughs> which we've touched on yeah, some, but, yeah, we have. Um, but um, yeah, and, I, I, the other mm. question I, I've asked is like, how do we reconceive of community and and the idea of showing up in a world that mm. might require us to be more confined for a season? Mm. I don't. What does that look like? Yeah, yeah, those are wonderful questions. Yeah. Yeah, well, and I, I have actually been um, impacted just very recently by this whole bit because I would be returning home tomorrow from a three-week trip I had planned to Singapore and right. Thailand. Right, I would have left on February 15th, but it has been postponed till October due to concerns to the coronavirus, and those concerns were raised by my Singapore contacts. It wasn't me asking for it. They yeah. said we, you know, we, we had a very large gathering planned for that very vulnerable population of 55 right. and up, right. about close to 300 people. And they said we, we can't, I think we just can't bring that many people in a vulnerable population together, which I think was very wise of them. Mm. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, you know, this this is... A pandemic at this point that the world is is trying to figure out how to contain, and I just think um, I guess there are, there are a couple of things I would say uh, that that are very practical. Uh, I think it's going to continue to impact us in a variety of ways, um, if not directly physically, um, economically. That's already right. happening in yeah. <laughs> many many ways. Um, for months to come, I think. But the first, I think we need not to panic, mm -hmm. <laughs> but to assess the risks soberly. Mm -hmm. And in order to do that, we need to educate ourselves about the best practices on how to keep ourselves healthy. And if we do become ill, to sequester ourselves away from other people so we don't impact others. I mean, these these are, are just very common sense things. We try to do this generally with flu <laughs> but, um, because this is a less known and there there's no known vaccine and so forth. It feels more frightening to us. Right. I would say three, um, we need to make sure that we're not scapegoating other people in any way because we're already seeing evidence of this happening in this country and in other countries where... Uh, um, because the virus originated in China, people of of any kind of Asian descent uh, are being harassed or shunned, their businesses uh, shunned. This is this is just uh, not only unnecessary; it's really. Uh, It's not a, a manifestation of, of concern for our neighbors. Right. And so it, um, 
it is in direct contradiction to the teachings of our own faith tradition. So that's something to pay attention to. And I would say, uh, finally, pray. Pray for the world and pray for the communities most impacted and for any people that we know who are ill. Um, because we're, this is something we really can do. It's the impacts are real. We, I think sometimes we just don't trust this sufficiently, but um, we are sending out our energies of love and healing when we send prayers for, for others. And yeah. they contribute to the love and healing that is possible within this world, what God can do. Right. So the more of us who are willing to give our, our love and healing energies through prayer to the world, the more God can do with it. So I encourage us in that direction. Uh, when we're done recording and talking today, I'll share with you a blessing and a kind of poem that I came across that's called uh, Wash Your Hands. And it's just remind, it's this beautiful reminder that we've been washing our hands as a sacred practice for millennia, <laughs> forever. <laughs> Yes. And it's so, I mean, and that. Ritual and so, cleansing. Because, and it was such a beautiful gift for me to come across it this week when I have the tendency to go, oh my gosh, my hands are like really dry and peeling. And then my four-year-old's hands are like completely red because they make him wash his hands so often at school. And then my six-month-old, the same thing. I mean, they like hold her over the sink. I mean, and they have to. And they, you know, and I'm grateful for those practices. Um, and, you know, we're like dipping our hands in oil every night, which is its own beautiful ritual mm. as a family. Mm. And and so it was just a, it was lovely to find come across this blessing and to go, yeah, water. <laughs> it, water, it holds us and it can and it connects us uh, not only to others and to our ancestors, but re can reconnect us to ourselves um, in the yeah. ways that, that we're, you know, just right here, washing our hands, taking care, you know, and, and so that's been a beautiful thing. So I'm wondering if when I ask about sort of spiritual practices that are keeping you grounded um, in this culture and in this country and sort of this politically charged environment, um, what, what of those are keeping you alive and well right now? Mm, yeah, thank you. <clears throat> um, this is interesting because in the last academy that I was teaching for, mm -hmm. which was just back the first right. week of February, this was essentially the topic I was uh, discussing. H how do we, how do we stay grounded how, in in the love of Christ in the midst of crisis, confusion, and chaos? Essentially, oh, wow. yeah. yeah. So, I really have been thinking a lot about this, and you know, I I would not. <laughs> ever claim that you know, I've <clears throat> I figured out how to do all of this in my own life um, consistently, but, but here are some things I have found useful, yeah. and so I just offer them up. First of all, um, remember the long perspective of human history mm. when we're thinking, for example, about our political situation. Or we think about how painful it is to see the injustices still perpetrated on minority people throughout the world in various ways. Mm -hmm. How immigrants are treated or how um, people fleeing war are being treated as we look at, you know, a million people, a million Syrians pushed right. up against a, a border where they can't go anywhere between war and a wall. So... Hmm. You know, the, the, these things are um, very, very much at the forefront of our consciousness, I think, today. <clears throat> I think it's helpful to, to keep the long perspective on human history in mind and to notice that we have evolved to some extent. <laughs> you know, we have, we, we no Good. longer sacrifice our firstborn children to the gods. You That's know, right. we, we uh, do not burn people at the stake whom we consider to be heretics. You know, we, we no longer think that justice only means um, 
protecting the property rights of the wealthy, as was true in 18th century England, not all that long ago. Um, you know, much of the world now accepts um, at least the concept of universal human rights, even if it's not particularly well-practiced always. Uh, <clears throat> Martin Luther King Jr. Was, was quoting a man named Theodore Parker in an 1853 sermon when he said, when MLK Jr. said, the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends toward justice. Yeah. That's interesting to me. Um, 1853. So 1853, yeah. that was first written in a sermon. So, you know, I think we, we need to to look back and see where we have come and be able to affirm and celebrate progress where we have made it, for one. Mm -hmm. um, I also think we really need to hold to what our faith teaches us. Mm. Um, like, how many of us really believe this passage in... 1 Corinthians 13, which is usually only read at weddings, which is a great pity because it's really very pithy wisdom. I'll just take this one phrase. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love endures and endures eternally. Now, if we really believe that, then that's going to help ground us in the midst of all of this. It's also going to teach us where we need to put our own roots down. We want to be part of a love mm -hmm. that hopes and believes and endures. I think, you know, I, th I think of Julian of Norwich's famous threefold benediction, I'll call yeah. it, you know, yeah. that all shall be well. And here she, you have to remember the context for her. Yep. 14th century medieval England, the Black Death comes through, wipes out half of her entire town right. of Norwich. She lived in a time when um, the followers of John Wycliffe, who were called the Lollards, mm -hmm. were being burned alive in a pit less than a mile from where she was in her little cell attached to the church. And as you may know, she had a window from that yeah. cell out onto the street from which she offered spiritual counsel to the people who came by. If you can imagine the smells that came through that window. Mm -hmm. I mean, just medieval England yeah, for one, right. the normal life, but then the smell of so, burning flesh and hair. And, death, and it's just right. almost inconceivable to us today, mm -hmm. the kinds of sufferings people went, went through. And in the midst of that, because of her visions of, of Jesus and the words that come through to her in her visions, mm -hmm. she can say, all shall be well and all shall be well. And all manner of things shall be well. For there is a force of love moving through this universe that holds us fast and will never let us go. Now, if she can say that in her time, surely we can affirm her words and her vision. There are two other things I'll mention here that really help me. One, sometimes, uh, and I always encourage people to do this whenever I'm dealing with spiritual practices in challenging circumstances, write your own psalms of lament or imprecation. The psalms give us permission, you know, to feel every feeling that we have. And so uh, psalms of lament are, are related to... Uh, our sorrow, our incomprehension, the things that are painful for us. And uh, I, I brought along a little page that, you know, Psalms, uh, Psalms of Lament, like Psalm 13 and 42. Mm. How long, O oh Lord, how long, yeah. how long will you hide your face from me? How long must I bear pain in my soul? Um, give light to my eyes or I will sleep the sleep of death. You know, how often do we feel that way? 
Right. Or, um, you know, my tears have been my food day and night. When you're in deep grief uh, or anxiety and depression, that's how it may feel. It's like, why are you downcast, my soul? Now, I want to come back here, and this is just the last thing I'll mention as a practice. It's the way I've been praying now for the last couple of years, uh, because I do use my body here. And I stand, I do this every morning, I stand and I lift my arms, mm -hmm. and I invite the light and love and life of God into me. And I breathe it in, and I draw it down, and I've allow myself to feel and breathe in all of that energy of light and love so that I can, in turn, um, bear it out to others. Yeah. The, the other aspect of it, I do it both directions. I uh. visualize myself rooted in the earth almost as if I were yeah. growing roots down, you know, through the floor and into the ground. Right. And I envision myself rooted and grounded in the love of Christ, yeah. to use that phrase from Ephesians 3, from Paul's beautiful prayer. And I draw, um, I imagine drawing up the energies of the earth because I am a creature of both earth and heaven body and spirit. And as long as I am in this body, incarnated, I combine them. It's impossible to pull body and spirit apart in this body. Right. And so I, I draw up the energies of the earth that are part of who I am. I envision also, you know, what Jesus was talking about in um, John 4, with the woman at the well, those living waters welling up to eternal life. So I visualize those waters flowing up through me like a fountain that has some kind of uh, eternal source at the root. So I stand between heaven and earth. I draw down the energies of light and love from above, if you will, and I draw up the energies... Uh, the beauty, um, the life-giving, nurturing qualities of the earth, mm -hmm. and the flow of that life-giving water that Jesus speaks of. I visualize those things, and I, I bring them together in myself at my core, mm -hmm. just right about solar plexus. Yeah. I think solar plexus is such an interesting term, yes. you know? <laughs> Um, solar sun yep. is yep. kind of like the central sun in the body here. Yeah. And the ancients, the ancient Christians understood this to be the heart, right. the seat and center of the whole person, all the human faculties in the heart, the center, which is why they gazed at the belly area when they prayed. This oh. is where the phrase navel gazing, navel -gazing comes from. Of course, yeah. right. Because the practice was to sit and actually look at that center yeah. part of your body. So they, um, yeah, mm. it's interesting. Anyway, the, uh, all I can say is that when I do this in the morning, I feel centered and energized as I begin the day. Yeah. And I recommend it. Yeah, it's beautiful. Mm. Well, I'm. Again, deeply grateful that you took some time out of your day to join us and, and for us to kind of touch on these really important practices. And, um, you know, earlier when you were uh, quoting Julian and uh, her conversation with Jesus, I was thinking maybe that's the answer to this last question <laughs> that I want to ask is maybe we all need to commit that to memory. Um because, uh, you know, this final question is, you know, what's the most important practice or belief we can hang on to as people of faith in these really uh, uncertain, fearful, politically charged times? Um, you know, I say, what, what do we do? How are we to be? So again, as you were reminding us of, of Sister Julian, I thought, well, that's, that's pretty good. <laughs> we could <laughs> hang out there for a while. All shall be well and all manner of things shall be well. Uh, 
But yeah, is there a final blessing, a final word um, that you have for us? I think it's really important for us to remember, um, and Richard Rohr says this in his own way, that oppositional energy cannot combat oppositional energy. Hmm. That anger cannot overcome anger. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, uh, now this is more in regard to our political situation. Our polarities are yeah. mirroring each other. And so kind of bouncing back and forth between increasingly strident voices. Right. Um, and I think, you know, that, that as people of faith, what we need is to get rooted in an alternative consciousness, something that isn't just one polarity against the other. Um, It's been said that we cannot change consciousness from the same level of consciousness that created the problem to begin with, which I think is, is deeply true. So how do we move toward a more unitive consciousness, um, a deeper awareness of this spiritual reality of our common human bonds, mm-hmm. of our commonality. We are so much more alike than we are different at the root. And so it seems to me that that's where our focus needs to go. And I think, you know, Jesus' example and his teachings can help to move us there. So I would say that uh, by way of closure. And I would really love to end with a blessing from Jan Richardson, uh, whose poems and blessings I'm sure you're familiar with and are some of my favorites. Um, This is called, Blessed Are You Who Bear the Light? And uh, it it, uh, makes reference in, in her own mind to John 1, 7. He came as a witness to testify to the light. Blessed are you who bear the light in unbearable times, who testify to its endurance amid the unendurable, who bear witness to its persistence when everything seems in shadow and grief. Blessed are you in whom the light lives, in whom the brightness blazes, your heart a chapel, an altar where in the deepest night can be seen the fire that shines forth in you, in unaccountable faith, in stubborn hope, in love that illumines every broken thing it finds. Amen. Thank you for your wisdom. Thank you for your honesty. Thank you for the gentleness with which you share. It is a real gift to us. A great pleasure for me to be with you, Claire. (laughs) And uh, what I hear in that and what has been coming to me uh, in all of this and in our work with Academy, but just our work in the world as people of love is that we were made for this. Yes. We were made for this. We were. We are made for love. So let's embrace it, take it into ourselves, and share it with everyone we can. Forever and ever. Amen. (laughs) Thank you. Bless you. Thanks for listening along with us today. We recognize that having a podcast is one thing and having folks listen and engage with it is entirely another. So we're grateful that you're here, that you're listening, that you're journeying, that you're engaging. 
The Academy and all of its offerings exist because of you. Feel free to share this podcast with others. May it be a balm, a prayer, a guide, an inspiration, a beacon of hope in your daily lives. To hear more from faculty and wisdom guides in the area of spiritual formation, join us at the next five-day or two-year Academy. For more information, visit academy.upperroom.org. Thank you.